What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a podcast about New York sports. Sam, joined with Matt. Uh, I usually say as always, but last week, a little bit pressed for time myself. Uh, so Nick from the Liberty Blue Pod came on. We're going to have a, a little conversation. Matt and Nick had a conversation about the Rangers, a little bit about the Mets. Um, that'll be on the end of this one. And uh, But right now, today, I think, you know, we spoke about the American League. Uh Baseball underway, uh, we can talk about, uh, we're going to talk about, you know, how we feel about baseball so far, some of our early takeaways. Uh, we'll go definitely talk about the NL in a little bit more depth than, you know, just like we did with the AL. And then probably the biggest topic right now, uh, I would argue, the New York Knicks have their matchup set. And uh, you couldn't couldn't draw a uh, story up that was better than this one, but they will face the Cavaliers, Donovan Mitchell, the 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 once thought of, you know, supposed to be Nick. Uh, every uh, the cards did not uh, fall in the Knicks' favor, but now I think there is a little bit of a. Uh, uh, it's definitely a storyline to follow. So Matt, I'll, I'll kick it to you here. Um, what's going on? That's how I started as always. And how do you feel about this Knicks series? Because this is I, the first time in a while I've been excited for some good Knicks basketball. Yeah, what's going on? And uh, you know, we Nick and I didn't get to the Knicks, but we we did go out of our way to mention that uh, they're kind of the toast of the town right now. Um. I mean, I, they're the most exciting thing going on. You know, I, I just feel like we have to wait on Julius Randle news for me to actually get excited. I'm trying to keep myself. I'm trying to keep myself down here uh, until I, I know what cards are going to be dealt when it comes to this Cleveland series. Yeah, well, well, let's start there then because the Julius Randle injury is, is obviously you. You're right. I've you know all the stuff that I've listened to, everyone I've heard, like every talking head speaking about it, has kind of said. You know, it's really tough for me to say uh, an opinion on this series without knowing Julius Randle's, you know, situation or his status. And uh, as of right now, I think the Knicks uh, came out and said that he's going to be assessed. I think it was like a day or two before the series started. Um, so a, a couple things with that before we before we really get into the the, the weeds of this series. Um, think about it like this: like so, he we all saw, or if you didn't see, he had a really bad ankle turn, really bad. Like I almost thought it could have been like broken by just like his you know, his facial expressions and whatnot. Um, all reports say he's in a walking boot right now still. Um, and, you know, if you're if you're in a walking boot still and now we're only like a week removed from the actual series starting, I don't know if that's going to bode well, really. You know, even – let me put it this way. Even if they assess him one or two days before and they deem him, you know, if we tape up his ankle, let him run, let him play, I mean, he's already been like two a week, two and almost – almost two weeks now will be almost three by the time the series starts away from basketball movement. Right. So you have to start worrying about conditioning, how he's going to feel running up and down a very competitive hundred percent of the time, not regular season basketball game. Uh, I think we know the difference between regular season and postseason basketball, but yeah, I mean, look, uh, give me, uh, let me, let me say this. Give me your confidence level with a fully healthy Julius Randle. Give me your confidence level with a half healthy Julius Randle. And then give me your confidence level without any Julius Randle. That's a good question. Um, what I will say before I give my answer to that is, is there a way to maybe spin this positive? Whereas if you do get Julius Randle back healthy, you get to look at what the Knicks are right now and say, you know, guys with more time on the floor, like Quentin Grimes, um, Toppin, Emmanuel quickly, especially like, getting out there and like really starting to figure it out. And then maybe this Knicks team comes together and, and they're better than they were. I mean, you know, maybe that's something to look forward to. Um, with Julius Randle, 
I know the Knicks are going to go into this as underdogs, um, but I, I like the Knicks. I love the way they play Cleveland. Uh, this might be a little bit of a, a homer response by me, but I'm going to say a seven and a half, eight. Um, I like the Knicks to win this series if Julius Randle's healthy. Um, at 50% Julius Randle, five and a half. Uh, and if you have no Julius Randle, I'm I'm down to a three. I really don't, th- and that might even be generous. I don't see a, a world where they're able to take down Cleveland without Julius Randle. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and I'm going to say that I think that there is definitely something to some of the performances that we've seen without Julius Randle. And I'll say this: like I think the obviously Julius Randle is an unbelievable player. I think he's actually getting into the underrated conversation yes. where, you know, he, every night he's dropping great stat lines, you know, he'll have his blips, but you know, even, even a guy like Joel Embiid, who I just saw is like minus a thousand to win the MVP. There's nights sometimes where he just has an off game. I mean, his off game is a lot better than Julius Randall's off game. And I think there's some other stuff that's baked into Julius Randall when he has those off games, as far as like, you know, the temper tantrums and whatnot we've seen this year. Yeah. That's one thing. But what I will say is that if you're a Nick fan like you and I are and, you know, we see guys like quickly and Brunson and, and, you know, like you said, guys that wouldn't be normally getting as many minutes, getting more minutes. I think there's a there's there's something to be said about, you know, kind of remaining. You're having your game plan almost remain anonymous in the playoffs. I'll say when I say anonymous, I mean, like, you know, if you're the Cavs, what are you doing right now? You're you're preparing as usual. Sure. But. When you think about when you start talking about like matchups and defensive matchups, I mean, it's a totally different scheme playing the Knicks without Julius Randle versus with him, you know? So, you know, for ex- and especially the Cavs where guys like Jared Allen, guys like Evan Mobley are elite interior defenders that, you know, guarding Julius Randle in the interior is a lot different than trying to stop Jalen uh, Jalen Brunson or Emmanuel quickly in the interior, right? I, I just yeah. think any anyone that watches Knicks for 30 seconds would be able to say that. Yeah, you could argue um, that Julius Randle is the this. strongest power forward in the NBA. Yeah, I, to, yeah, they. It, he's a guy that, like, I'm sure a lot of people, like, just don't look forward to playing because he's just so wild yeah. and aggressive that, like, I'm sure you're sore as hell after you play Julius Randle. You know what I mean? He's just a... He's a banger. He, yeah. He's banging down low with those guys. But what I'll say is, wow. I think the Cavs' strength is it, is in the interior in the interior defense of Mobley and Jared Allen. And I think that you know Julius Randle, while yes, he was in the three point contest and he's definitely improved his three point shooting game. His game is inside out, and I think that I, I think that if you're if you're the Cavs and you know you find the Knicks going with a small lineup of just let's for shits and gigs say they go with the starting lineup of Brunson quickly, uh, sorry, Brunson, Barrett, Grimes, uh, Obi, and Mitch as yeah. like a quote unquote small lineup without Julius Randle. I don't hate that. I, I wouldn't even hate seeing seeing quickly Brunson, uh, Barrett, and uh, all, all four of those guards in the lineup as a very small starting lineup with Mitch as the anchor. I think against this Cavs team. You know, I think that guys like Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are definitely definitely threats and great basketball players. But, you know, you can, I feel like you can neutralize that with, with guys that are much quicker than them and guys like Quickly and Brunson. And I think that, uh, you know, part of me, while I do agree, yes, without Julius Randle, they do not have a better chance to win the series than with Julius, than without. I, I, I think that's obvious. But I think that 
personally, I think I'm giving the Knicks a little bit better shot without Julius Randle than it sounds like you are. No, that's fair because, I mean, listen, like Julius Randle is, is one guy and it's tough to replace 25 points uh, and 10 boards. But the Knicks do have pieces. Like I, the, the way I think of it is Julius Randle isn't your, oh, he's the guy who has to have the ball when the game's on the line. So you're not even losing that guy because to me, that's Jalen Brunson. And, you know, you want to talk about the aggressiveness, uh, the aggressiveness, physicality. You can replace that with a guy like Josh Hart off the bench, and the scoring is going to be there with Brunson, and you know even uh, even quickly at this point. So I, I get where you're coming from, but there is something about that that presence being on the floor for eighty percent of the game that you're missing now. That I don't know. It's just it, it feels like it's a big element to be missing from one guy. Yeah, I, I mean it is, and uh, kind of a kind of a, a joke little statistic I found. The Knicks this year are 3-0 and versus the Cavs, and the only time they've lost to the Cavs is when Julius Evan Randall. Fournier played. So they're th- oh, okay. No, no, no. When Evan Fournier played is the only okay. time they lost to the Cavs. So I thought you were going to say when Fournier... Julius Randle was out. I was, about to be, I was about to change my answer to one. No, no, no. So, yeah, when, so I think they're 3-1 and against the Cavs this year, and their one loss is with, when Fournier played. 3-0 and without. So maybe the key is just don't play Evan Fournier. Maybe yeah. that's just that's what they have to do. Um, some other some other kind of little notes about this series I definitely wanted to get into. Um, we talk about, especially in the NBA playoffs, I mean, I say this with the Warriors, like, you know, people always ask me, you know, who do I like coming out of the West? And I, I still will say, like, I, I would be scared to play the Warriors because they're so playoff tested. Everyone in that roster is playoff tested. And for this series, the Cavs and the, the Knicks, both not playoff tested. So there's no advantage there for either team, in my opinion. Maybe I guess you could say, like, uh, Donovan Mitchell has gone to the playoffs multiple times with the Jazz, I guess. But like, he—I don't think he ever got past the second round. Like, what is it? Is, he's not—I wouldn't consider him a you know playoff-tested player. Um, I guess Jalen Brunson too has got there with with Luca, but he was never like the guy in a playoff-tested series. I think it's it's an interesting, definitely an interesting series as far as like experience is concerned. There's a lot of guys on both sides that are just scratching the surface of not only their potential but what what they are in in terms of playoffs as well yeah man it would um, just be it would just be so nicks to to get bounced by donovan mitchell it would just be the most Knicks yeah. thing but here's the thing like i think that uh, you know obviously to harp it's almost like to harp on this whole donovan mitchell didn't come here thing at this point is like like it sucks that they're playing them and yeah you're right it would suck if they get bounced by them and it's especially suck if they got bounced in a like an embarrassing fashion by jalen brunson i mean by uh Donovan Mitchell, but the Knicks had an unbelievable season. Let's be real. Like they, they, their season, they are a good team. They took multiple steps forward this year. And I'm not writing their obituary right now because I really do genuinely give them a chance to win the series. I think they were like a, like plus 200 or something to win the series or maybe even less plus 180 last time I checked. But, um, I think that, you know, if you're, if you're the Knicks, you're here, you, you, I think for the first time in a long time, you feel like you belong in the playoffs Whereas a few years ago when they made the playoffs, I think a lot of the the rhetoric around the team was, yeah, they're here because they were the only ones that really tried 100% the whole way. Yeah. Now I just think they're a good team. Like they're they're a threat every night to blow you out. They really are. Uh, even when they get down, they they seem to, especially in the last couple months and weeks, that they they get down and it's almost like they they make a couple changes to their to their rotation, their lineup, and boom, now you have guys. Three guys combining for 100-plus points on a given night, which was unbelievable the other night. But 
I don't think, you know, I think I would be much more uh, a down on this Knicks team and this Knicks season had they matched up against the Celtics or the 76ers in the first round. But, you know, win a couple games here, even take this to six or seven, make yourself look formidable and get back at it next year. Uh, that's what I, I mean. I'm assuming a loss is what I'm, I guess I'm saying, but I do give the Knicks a genuine chance here for sure. Yeah, I, I do um, too. But I mean, it, it would be nice to at least cross the barrier that you set two years ago when you got bounced in the first round. I mean, like just, just so there's a metric to show me that you improved. Yeah. Well, I think, honestly, I think it is, I think the, not really a metric, but just the fact that they, this, they had their best free agent signing in multiple, multiple years in, in Jalen yeah. Brunson. I mean, I'd even go as far as to say a decade. When did they sign Mello? What year was that? And it was before 2010. 20, maybe. Yeah, so a decade, right? I have who's another free agent they signed that was even better. I mean, J- Julius Randle. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, mean, I right. can't. Yeah, off the top of my head, you know what I mean. So I think that's a step in the right direction because think about it. As as Nick fans, what was the story going into the season? We've never had a guy or the guy, right? Now I think we have. We kind of have two, sort of in a way. So I mean, but that's what I'm saying. If Jalen Brunson goes out there, and even if they lose because they're they're just a worse roster than the Cavs, and you know, but if Jalen Brunson plays very well and kind of can show you that he can do this with a fully healthy roster, and you know the right pieces around him, you go into the off season and retool. Yeah, I mean, I'm that's a I won't be mad. I I like I don't know how a Nick fan could be mad at that. Yeah. Well, speaking so. of Brunson, it, it is funny now to look at. You know, uh, all the, the whining around Dallas about how did we trade away Brunson for the because the Kyrie effect has taken place now. Yeah. It's hilarious. To a T. Yeah. To, no, seriously, it's it, it's getting like the I'm not going to get into really the weeds of the NBA. We definitely want to keep this more of a uh, just Knicks focused and then we're going to get to some baseball. But yeah, that Kyrie situation is is really uh, I don't even know. Like, I can't even pinpoint like what exactly had happened but like to hear Luca who to me has since he's been in the league has very quickly become one of my favorite players in the league for me to watch him get up there and say like he's not like enjoying this right now yeah it's like kind of sad like I know but like is it that bad I just I know but now I just root against them just because of Kyrie Irving so I, I'm, I'm sure it. a lot of people do yeah yeah but look I, I mean we'll, we'll obviously touch on we're going to, as the games go on, and maybe when the Knicks win or lose, we'll get more into basketball and uh, some of our predictions. Before, uh, before we move on, you answer the question that you asked me to a T. Mm-hmm. With Randall, 50% Randall, without Randall. So without Randall, I'm going to give them like 30%. I'll give them a 30% chance. Okay. With, with Randall half healthy, here's the thing. I think that Randall at like half health doesn't, benefit them much like it could if be I'm detrimental 30, even yeah that's what i'm saying but i think that I'll, I'll say this just for the sake of a number if i'm 30 percent without randall i'm 35 percent with a, a half healthy julius randall and then with a healthy julius randall i'm a true 50 50 i think that they belong in this game or in this this series with this team and i think they're very the rosters kind of stack up very well together and I think that I genuinely will give them a 50-50 shot to win this series if Julius Randle's fully healthy but again we won't know until you know maybe a day before the series even starts so it's it's tough for yep. us to say um quick give me your give me your game prediction 
I'll, I'm going to just, I'll be the Knicks homer and I'm going to say Knicks in seven. I'm going to do the same thing. Okay. Pretty weak, but we'll live with it. Um, anything else you want to add about anything else in the NBA you saw before we start heading over to baseball? No, no, not really. We can head over to baseball and I want to really get around the national league. Um, so Nick and I sort of, we talked about the Mets and it was kind of tough to talk about because I mean, it would have been an easier conversation had it taken place a week ago. Um, but there's just a bad taste in your mouth about the Mets right now when it's early. I'm not, I'm not being like, I'm not being that Met fan, but it was just kind of tough to talk about. Cause you like, you want to talk about the positives, but they're just not really there right now. Um, so, I mean, and just a quick update, Omar Navaris is going to be out for however long. I think it was six plus weeks. So I think it's uh, eight to nine even. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we get, we get a chance to see Alvarez who I kind of thought was going to be on the roster, uh, opening day, but you know, at least we get to see one of the kids. I think your two biggest weaknesses uh, outside of pitching are third base and catcher. And maybe we see Brett Beatty in the future. Who knows? But well, he got uh, hurt the other day, too. Is there any update on that? I, I don't think that was very serious. OK, I, I just saw my yeah. you know, you know, that you know who I follow on Twitter that, you know, if someone wakes up with a stiff neck, they think it's out for the year. Yeah. No names, favorite. but my favorite, Mr. Tank himself. Um, but I think, you know, I didn't, I haven't really said too much about the Mets. I kind of hinted on it last, uh, when we went around the AL, you know, some of the stuff that I've seen so far out of the Mets is like, it's concerning because it's, it wasn't my concerns. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like the, I think the bullpen has been pretty good. Like, you know, Adovino had a rough game the other day through six pitches, gave up a, a walk off to the Brewers. That just can't happen. Uh, but again, I think what I said about Adovino was he's streaky. He's a streaky reliever. He'll give, go through stretches where he'll have, you know, a sub two ERA and then he'll have three games in a row where he just doesn't look like he could find the strike zone. And, you know, I, I don't know how much the Mets are going to be able to count on that. Um, I thought some of their other bullpen pieces like uh, Brooks Raley's looked pretty good. He's probably been the, the most impressive to me in the bullpen thus far, you know, uh, given expectations. Um and then, you know, but when I when I say some of the concerns, Jeff McNeil needs to get it going sometime, one of these days. He, he's He has to. Uh, Alonzo had a huge game the other day, but I don't know how – it's like the classic argument of – I feel like we see this in the Yankee world where it's like, would you rather someone hit two home runs in one game and then not hit a home run for, you know, five straight? Or would you rather have someone hit three home runs, one home run in three different days? And I feel like Alonzo kind of falls into that sometimes where like uh, where if when the Mets are piling it on or the Mets are facing a bad pitcher, that's where he's going to get his like stats up. He's going to he's really going to he crushes bad pitching. He's a mistake hitter, I think. Yeah. And well, I well think to that, be fair, though, those weren't like garbage time home runs. Like he really kept them in the game until. No, 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 no. I, I understand. But that was when I say garbage time, I mean, like maybe not garbage time is the right way to put it, but not against like the, the elite of the elite pitching. Like I want to see him do that, you know, in the first inning against the stud starters, not in the seventh inning against the Brewers fourth reliever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I I mean, that's just, that might be me nitpicking, but uh, yeah, I think, I think the Mets really are going to have to figure out their catching situation. And I think that uh, Nito's definitely good behind the plate. And I think that as you know, with this uh, Navarre's injury, and I believe Nito will start today on their home opener. I think that was the, the all reports said that he was going to start. Yeah, and Alvar- Alvarez is going to DH. Uh, that that's. I mean, at first I thought, why not put Alvarez behind the dish? But I don't hate that. At least get him in the lineup. You know, I definitely didn't want to see him on the bench. Uh, yeah, I think that would be there. a little ridiculous. But 
yeah, I'm cool with DHing him there. And I think that, you know, where we spoke about, you know, the rule changes and whatnot, and I've seen it just watching Yankee games and I think all across baseball even, stolen bases are up big. And to me, that just means that your defense behind the plate needs to be good. Needs to be good. There's no – I don't even want to go down the the litany of, of Met catchers in the last, like, four or five years, but I don't think the Mets would be as – would be as confident going into the season with James McCann this year than they were last year, given all the activity on the base paths and everything going on with the new rules and stuff. I think you really need a guy back there now. Yep. Even more so. Um, but uh, if you, if you want, let's, let's stick with the NL East. Uh, what have, what have you seen? Anything that, that's, that jumps out at you in the early going uh, we could, let's, let's stick with the NL East. Braves are six and one. Are they going to lose? Uh, are they going to win a hundred games, 120 games this year? What do we think? Yeah, that was one of the things we talked about. I mean, Nick came out and said that, you know, I, I think the Braves are the best team in baseball. If you want to tell me Astros, I won't argue with you, but uh, the Braves, and they really, they very well might be. I think the Mets are already looking at themselves like, you know, we were coming into the season saying like, all right, got to win the division because we don't want, you know, because we talk about it all the time. The postseason is a crapshoot um, and, and we don't want to have a repeat of last season. It already looks like you're the clear cut, you would hope, number two in your division. Um, so that's tough, but you know, it is what it is. You decided to go for it at a time when uh, the Braves are all world. So I, I, I mean, I'm, they're definitely the best team in the national league. Uh, so they're going to be, yeah, a tough I, I would say, I would say so too. I think that me, I mean, my, uh, my previous prediction as far as the NL was, I like the Padres a lot, but I'm, I'm that's given that Tatis comes back and everything starts clicking yeah. on that end. But right now I, I kind of agree. I think the Braves, you know, uh, they made – I think they had the best offseason, if not one of the best offseasons in all of baseball. They have an unbelievable pitching staff, starting pitching staff. Their lineup one through nine is great. Uh, they really don't have many flaws. Uh, you know, I re- – really, if I had to be nitpicky with their, their team, I think, like, always the, any any elite team can be – any elite team can always have a better bullpen. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I agree. Always, because you're always going to run into other teams with good bullpens, and you want to have that edge, you know, especially getting to the playoffs. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think we're in a green stare with the Braves. I think I don't think the Phillies are as bad as they've started the season. You're welcome, by the way, for the, you know, when the Mets win the division by by a game and the Yankees have beat them two of three in the second series of the, uh, the season, oh, you're welcome. Uh, Appreciate it. No problem. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think the Phillies are that bad. They're going to get – I think Harper's due back like midseason. Once he comes back, I you know even if they're 500 at that time, I think they're going to be a lot better than they are now. They're not a one in six team. They're not the same team as the you know the the. I mean the Marlins have actually looked pretty good. Sandy Alcantara looks like he's picked up right where he left off. Um, I mean they're what three and four right now, and the the Phillies are one in six. Um, yeah. I I mean I, I don't know the Phillies. I think the I think the Phillies. I'll say this: They're a good team, but I don't think they're in the same conversation as a healthy Braves or a healthy uh, or a healthy Mets. I don't. No, no. I mean, they, they didn't. I don't think they belonged in the World Series last year. Yeah, they had, no, but they had a run, and I think that they're they're. A, I think again, would you agree that the in October the hottest team wins? Yeah, like we always yeah. say. I mean, it is a crapshoot when you get there. Yeah, and, I mean, and like Ryan said the other day, I mean, it's just it's just first half Phillies. You know, we'll see what the Phillies are made of in July. Yeah, well, exactly, and I think that if you're the Phillies, obviously, like if you're if you're a Philly fan, right? How 
how will like are you like scared of the Mets? Like, I don't think anyone scared? is right now. Okay. I mean, just like I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm not right now, but I'm saying like going into the season, were you like, I think Philly fans might fear the Braves more so than the Mets. Oh, honest. well, yeah, of course. Of course. You know, but um, yeah. other other teams in that division, though, again, I think the Marlins, the Marlins aren't there yet. I think they have some really good, nice young players in their team backed by Sandy Alcantara. And then who's the guy that pitched against the Mets on the second game? Was it Jesus Lazardo? He pitched. I thought he pitched pretty well. Yeah, um, yeah, but they're. I think they're going to be. Uh, they're going to be like that thorn in the side of all the good NL East teams. That it's like they're going. You're gonna. You're gonna look at their schedule and be like, oh, we just play the Marlins, and then when you get there, it's like shit. We got Alcantara on a Wednesday. Wednesday at two o'clock in Miami. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, you know, it's just going to be one of those thorn in the side teams that they every every division has. Um, and then the Nationals might lose 120 games. So I don't yeah. even want to yeah. really speak about that. Yeah. Their opening Speaking day started with Marlins. Patrick Corbin. Speaking of the Marlins, I, I hear a lot of like, like experts all the time saying like, seriously, in a couple of years, look out for the Marlins because the pitching in their farm is just, it's insane. And I couldn't yeah. tell you anything about it, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not really too deep into the weeds of their farm system either, but I, I have heard the same, same kind of sentiments, but you know, just looking at their lineup, they have like some. Obviously, you know, not not looking at really stats this year. It's very early on, but Jorge Soler is a big power bat. Luis Arise just won the batting title last year and is hitting 458 this year. Uh, Jazz Chisholm is, I would consider, you know, a B level star in this league. Can play yeah. anywhere. Um, Yuli Gurriel at first base. Uh, you know, they they have some guys that can cause some some problems on on teams. You know, they they can win in many different ways. And again, you get a you get a uh, you know, a Sandy Alcantara start in Miami against this team, and that is a tough game to win, no matter who you are. I'll even say it for the Yankees. You know what I mean? Like, that's a – with Alcantara on the mound, that's a tough win, a very tough yeah. win. So, I think – again, I think the just a thorn in the side of the NL East. Um, yeah. The Mets that, did we, beat Alcantara on opening day, but that's just because the Mets – they have, like, some sort of opening day power-up. They just don't lose on opening day. Yeah, it's kind of um, crazy. Um, let's head over to I, what I think might end up being a very uh, interesting division here. I really couldn't tell you who's really going to win this division. I thought the Cardinals would win the Central going away, but early on, I'm not liking what I see from the Cardinals. I think that, you know, they're obviously their bats with, with Goldschmidt and Arenado are, are never going to be really in question. They are going to hit the ball always. But, you know, some of their pitching, I mean, like, they, I feel like they went into this year and kind of said, like, you know, we have four, three or four guys that could emerge and hopefully one will. But, you know, Jack Flaherty hasn't looked, you know, anything really special. He's he had one good outing. But, you know, in the past, he's not really like a I wouldn't consider him a stud. Uh, Miles Michaelis, whatever. Steven Matz, whatever. Jordan Montgomery, whatever. You know, they're, they're just a bunch of like three, like three fours in the starting rotation in their in their roster. And I guess I guess Flaherty could be like a two on a good team, maybe. But like. Their pitching is is a little bit uh suspicious to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, pound for pound, they're the best roster in that league still. Um, I think Milwaukee's a little slept on. Uh, speaking of Milwaukee, why why is Christian Yelich just not very good anymore? That's that's an anomaly. I really don't what, what know. What's that about? You think uh you think Roids? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just strange. Yeah, well, I, they're another team that, like, you know, I I, I watched. Uh, if you don't have the MLB package, by the way, get it. 
it, it's just like so worth it, especially if you if you bet on stuff, which I know you do. Yes. Uh, you just like watch. I, I have like, MLB TV. I get it for okay, free cool, through cool. T-Mobile. Awesome. Shout out T-Mobile. Uh, Shout big, out. Yeah. Big listeners of the show, I heard. But they have yeah. like, I think the Brewers just have like a bunch of guys that, you know, if Yelich can turn it around and if, you know, one or two other things go right, I think they could be a good team. And I wouldn't be stunned to see them win that division. You know, Devin Williams in the bullpen there. Uh, I know they got rid of Josh Hader last year, but Corbin Burns, uh, two starts, nine ERA, Wade Miley, Brandon Woodruff. I mean, like they have a good rotation, but just like I think it's going to determine, you know, it, I feel like they built this team that to think that Yelich is like a year in, year out all star, and he's yeah. just not. He's just not anymore. So, yep. Um, well, I mean, Brian Anderson might be the best player to ever grace a baseball field. So there's there's that. Yeah, especially. Do you think he's going to be like a Met killer? <laughs> yeah, he already is. Yeah, they're, they're, oh, that's they're I chock knew, full I knew of it. Yeah, it's him I, and Jesse Winker. Jesse Winker. We had no Brian. How about this? Brian Anderson hits home runs when Brian Anderson's calling the game. Isn't that some legendary stuff? I don't know why people made that such a big deal. I think it's. I mean, if, if there was a Yankee it named Michael like, Kay, that would be that would be pretty funny. Yeah, but like it's not like a, a strange. It's not. It's basically like John Smith had a home run when John Smith was calling the game. Like it's yeah, not like I, a. I, yeah, and it's just a. You never heard of it before, I guess. Yeah, but um. As far as the rest of that division, again, we spoke about the Cardinals, spoke about the Brewers. Um, Pirates are kind of whatever. I think it's just like uh, they're that's like the Yankees minor league team, I think, essentially. Yeah. They just farm guys up there. Wouldn't be stunned to see O'Neill Cruz at shortstop for the Yankees in the near future. But um, they're a good young team, I think, for sure, though. All jokes aside, I think um, they brought McCutcheon in. That's kind of like a a rebound sort of veteran pseudo coach role almost. But Yeah, which is uh, cool. I like that. I like that a lot, especially when you have guys like Cabrian Hayes and O'Neill Cruz and these young guys that are, you know, starting to come up and uh, kind of learning the, their way into the league. Uh, I really enjoy, like, you know, this is a good team that I think, you know, I, I can I can respect a team that, like, n- I don't say knows their place in the league, but like, it, you know, you don't ever hear the Pirates like making any ridiculous trades and like pretending to compete. Like they're yeah. so bought in on you know developing these stars, and their goal is to develop these young. You know, they want to build a team around Cabrian Hayes and O'Neill Cruz. Yeah, haven't you been to that stadium? Yeah, last year I went. It was beautiful. The fans were great. Um, I'd love to go back. It's it's the nicest stadium I've been to. That's what that's what everyone says, and like. I want to go so bad. It's just such a, like for us, it's just such a strange place to get to. Like it's, it's like, like six it's, hours away, but it's like right in the border of like, do I want to fly or do I want to drive? Yeah. And we like, drove. It was, I mean, but it was great. I loved it. And Pittsburgh is nicer than you would think. Yeah. Like, it was I, I got to hang there. around Pittsburgh. I'm going to do that this yeah. summer. I think I, I might just, I might drive. At a, made a stop at Blue Slide Park on the way yeah. up. Oh yeah. I remember that whole, uh, I remember the whole spiel or uh, the whole uh, itinerary of that trip. Um, <laughs> Um, and then as far as the Cubs, uh, another team that like just in no, no man's land, I guess, uh, they signed Bellinger as like their Bellinger and Dansby Swanson as like their two big ads. Dansby's actually been playing pretty well. He's hitting 500 in five games, uh, which is pretty well a Jace. Uh, he's one dotting in the OPS category. Ian Happ, uh, I think. Uh, will be another candidate for the trade deadline again this year. I think this is like the third year in a row that they've they've dangled him. Um, I can see him for sure. They have, I mean, looking at the Cubs roster, they have some like very interesting like had been pieces like 
Cody Bellinger, Danji Swanson, Trey Mancini, Eric Hosmer, Ian Happ, Patrick Wisdom. Like, those are all guys that, like, at some point in the league have been good players. Yeah, but Be- Bellinger is another one. Like, not on the level of a Christian Yelich, because Christian Yelich was just all around a better player. But it's just, it's strange that Cody Bellinger was, like, a real hitter for a second. Yeah. And he, he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, no, he's – sometimes it – uh. I, I, it's like, it's very Yelich like, right? Kind of like what happened? Bellinger is yeah, a little, sure. is younger, but like, I think, I think it's the same kind of idea. It's like, you know, when I remember when Bellinger first came up, it was like, there was pictures of him and judge hugging in like, in the all-star game. And like, yeah. everyone was like, Oh, this is the future of the league. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to get, dig those tweets up. But, um, and then of course, how can we ever forget your favorite player of all time, Marcus Stroman, heading this pitching staff? That's such a bum. Yeah. <laughs> He's a Met legend, as many would say. Um, he, like, he had a chance to be cool. Like, there were times when I'd be like, all right, like, I'm, I, I'm into this. Like, I, I, this, is a, this is a player that's fun. But he's not and good enough, I don't think. And then he just says some of the dumbest stuff. And, yeah, and he's not good enough. He's, he's, like, a, a, he's like a three, four starter on a good team. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. but but he acts like he's the greatest pitcher in the league, which yes. is in therein lies the problem. Um, and then I guess we could wrap up the NL with the NL West. Uh, I think this is the Dodgers division to lose, although I think the I think the Padres will definitely give them a run for their money again when Tatis gets back. But um, watching the Dodgers, I was watching the game last night. They beat up on the Diamondbacks, who the Diamondbacks are the Orioles of the National League. Period. Stop. They are the Orioles of the National League. There's, they're just riddled with young talent. It's like the it's like the prospect all stars for the Diamondbacks. Um, yeah. But I, I, you know, they're going to be they're another team just like the Marlins, just like the the Orioles. They're just young and upcoming. Not there yet, but definitely looking to take strides forward. And um, I just watched the Giants start. Just going to start from the bottom of this division. Just watch the Giants play the Yankees. They look like very free swinging of a team. Uh, so they're, they're going to run into some, again, if they face a bad pitcher, I think there could be, they could be a good team, but against a guy, Cole look, made them look like a triple a team. Just being brutally honest. He's doing it to most, yeah. both starts. He's made both teams look like triple a teams, but I think against good pitching, they're going to really struggle. I can't really see them doing much at all this year. Um, but you know, watching the Dodgers last night, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, as long as you have those two guys in your lineup riddled in with the Max Muncy's, the Will Smith's, uh, you know, so on and so forth of the world, you're going to be able to compete. They're, they're going to figure it out. They're going to be there at the end, unless, you know, barring some unforeseen consequence or injuries, plural, uh, the Dodgers will be there at the end. Um, although I think they, they do need to make a couple moves. I think there's, especially with the Gavin Lux injury, I think they're a little bit weak depth wise and up the middle. Um, but I think that I, I, Unlike the Yankees, I think the Dodgers have shown the the willingness to make big moves at the deadline for sure. Yeah, um, dude, I you, I will bet on the Dodgers every single time they play like a bottom half team of the NL, like especially a team like you know the Diamondbacks or the Rockies or whatever. I did that all of last season. They they make you a fortune. They just they don't lose games that they're supposed to win ever. It, they're just they're like the most sure thing in the league for some reason. 
Yeah, like no, it's because the it's, NL's so weak and whatnot. But like, I'll bet on the Astros against the A's, and they'll lose a bunch of times. And it's like, what is it? The Dodgers just they win when they're supposed to. They'll be down four in the eighth inning. Mookie Betts will hit a grand slam. They just they don't disappoint you. Yeah, they they you're right, and I think that they're that's why. But that's you kind of have to even as a Yankee fan and someone that always sees like the Dodgers is like the Yankees of the of the NL, like. I think that that's something that the Yankees don't do or haven't done. Like the Yankees will lose games like that where like, you know, you think uh, everything points to the Yankees winning these games, but I, I think the Dodgers are the ones that actually get it done. And it's almost like they understand the importance of that where like there's games that like you're going into and like, we need to win this game. When you play the Rockies at home with your, you know, one or two starter on the mound, that should be chalked up as a win every single time. Whereas, you know, we've seen with Garrett Cole where like, especially towards the end of last year where Garrett Cole, we needed him to go shove and he gave us four strong innings, but then we had to hand it over to the bullpen and it wasn't on Garrett Cole where they're, you know, the, the Dodgers always find a way to win. There's some crazy stat that like uh, when Freddie Freeman RBIs hasn't has at least one RBI, I think they are, they have like an 80% winning percentage, even just one. Like, so if, if, which is probably very similar around the league, but uh, just kind of shows that that lineup when they when they get it done when they're actually rolling and they're they're hitting the ball and not getting shut out they're hard really hard to beat really hard to beat. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see uh, it's nice to see Kershaw off to a hot start. Where do you where do you put him or where would you rank him in terms of like pitchers that we've gotten to see Kershaw? Because um, like you could you could make the argument that he's won. Yeah, well, I remember. Unless I remember, you want to give me like. Randy Johnson and Pedro, I get that, but we, we you know, we kind of caught the tail end of them. So, so he's not, he, to me, Kershaw is n- like, he's definitely in that category, but like he first by a hall of famer for sure. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, just no, no questions asked. Uh, this might sound like me, like, you know, ridiculing him, but maybe it's just like the way he pitches and the fact that it's like, he's not really like a dominant pitcher. He's just a great pitcher. Like, yes. like, whereas Pedro and Roger and Randy and like all those guys are, were dominant pitchers. He's not mm-hmm. that he's never was that he's just been always excellent. Like yeah. whether, whether it just be like, he's very like, um, like him and him and like Zach Greinke and Madison Bumgarner and those like, like, uh, even like a Roy Halladay or, uh, any, or someone who's not like dominant, but is just such a good pitcher at that craft that I think he falls into that category. So it's like, it's tough for me to put him there because again, I I'm always going to put the guys that are just overpoweringly dominant over him. You know what? Does that make sense? Right. So yeah. It's, like if DeGrom did what DeGrom was doing for 15 years, I yes. would put him ahead of Kershaw. It, 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 that's exactly my point. Like, so, but Kershaw yeah. does it with almost like with just this great finesse that we've never seen before. Yes. Uh, and I think yep. it's, it's, it's unbelievable to watch from, from, two of us that love and know baseball very well. It's, it's just very fun to watch, but you know, even Garrett Cole and Clayton Kershaw, just like two totally different pitchers, totally different. Yes. Um, and I think that not getting into super deep, you know, f- philosophical baseball talk, but I think pitchers like Clayton Kershaw need to start like, you know, making their way back into the league because like, you know, I'll even watch Nestor. Nestor's not overpowering guys, but perfect p- pinpoint control, perfect pitch mix, perfect you know little his mechanics are perfect he pitches the contact perfectly there's you never feel like it's out of control with Nestor right like Mm -hmm. where those guys you know you get Pedro hot you get 
Roger Clemens hot. You get Garrett Cole hot. Like sometimes you could lose them a little bit where they get like almost like too wrapped up and being dominant. Does that make sense? How I, I would like assess that pitching situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then I guess the last team we, we have to go over, I guess the last two teams, um, the Rockies, another nothing burger team to me. Um, yeah. I, I mean, Chris Bryant, I, I couldn't wrap my mind around that contract when it, when it started, uh, they just signed Jerickson Profar, who I wanted on the Yankees and was furious. Yep. So, yep. um, uh, what was your, uh, I, I said Padres are coming out of the, the NL on my prediction. Who's coming out of the NL in your prediction? And you can be a homer and say the Mets, whatever you want, but uh, hang who's on. coming I'm, out? I'm shook because I'm shook because I just found out that Evelyn Goria is still in the league. Oh, really? Um, he's a Diamondback. Wow. Okay. Huge. Now my, my stance on the Diamondbacks totally changed. Um, or, you know what? Give me, yeah, I mean, give uh, me your, give me your NLCS and the winner. Give me the Braves and man, I want to, I like, I want to say the Padres. I just, I still think the Dodgers are still that I, they're still the team to beat there. I think in that division and the rest of the NL, um, yeah, I think the Braves and Dodgers sit, uh, atop the division and the Mets hope would be that, you know, they're three or four right where, um, the Padres are. Um, I'm going to go Padres Braves alongside. Uh, I think that once Tatis comes again, once Tatis comes back, once this team gets rolling and in mid season form, I think they make a couple moves for, I wouldn't be stunned if they got the best arm, best starting arm on the market at the trade deadline, just to kind of bolster that, that, uh, because if anything, I think the the starting rotation for the Padres is the the weakness, to be honest. Um, but yeah, anything else you wanted to add about the NL or or anything before we get out of here? No. Or before we before we get to the uh, segment with Nick. Let me get a one-way ticket. I've been picked a destination. I'm just trying to catch a train before I had to leave the station. Packing no bags, nothing but the And welcome back to what we call a Panis, everyone. I have a friend of mine here with me today, a friend of the show, uh, who can talk hockey with the best of them. And uh, we're definitely going to get some Rangers out of him today. That would be Nick Zararis from the Liberty Blue Pod and probably other various shows you've never heard of. Like I, I think he, I think I see him do like a flames podcast every now and then for some reason. So, uh, you know, that's the sort of hockey intellect we're getting here. This is going to be mainly a Mets preview. We did the American league. We wanted to get into the Mets, but with Sam out, we have Nick here. I wanted to talk a little bit of Rangers. How are you doing, Nick? I'm good. We're at the very fun point of the sports calendar. We got the Masters tomorrow. We yeah. had a really busy weekend in sports last weekend. You got basketball and hockey playoffs coming up and baseball's getting rolling. This is the best time of the year. Yeah, no, it's as good as it gets, especially because the NFL is just like year round. There's always something going on with the NFL. So that, yeah, March exactly. Madness, the Masters coming up, NBA and NHL playoffs right on the brink. So speaking of the playoffs, how how do we feel about the New York Rangers as of right now? Because, I mean, the last time we talked to you, I mean, listen, Igor's had a great year, but the last time that we spoke, he wasn't quite, you know, the yeah. Vezina Igor that he was. He, he's he's kind of right there right now at, at the at the perfect time. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. The last month or so, those are the two biggest things that jump out to you, whether you're watching the games or you're just looking at the box scores. He's really rounded into form over the course of the last month, month and a half or so. He's slowly made his way up the leaderboards in most of the relevant goaltending statistics. Last time I looked, which was yesterday, they haven't played since Sunday. I want to say he was seventh in goal save above expected. And the last time we talked, he was like 17th. So the, the eye test and the numbers back it up that he's playing a lot better. And they're outscoring their defensive issues. Uh, the defense has not been good. And when I say defense, I'm including the, the entire team, not just the defensemen. The defense hasn't been great since basically since Tarasenko got here because they've opted for more offense than defense, but they've been able to outscore their issues. And Shesterkin's been able to make enough saves at key points that they've been able to mask some of those defensive issues. So confidence wise, they're going to go into a coin flip series with the Devils. The Devils can definitely beat them, but I think the Rangers, the the intangibles will be the thing there in that series where the Rangers have the playoff experience, the Devils don't. The Rangers have real expectations where, where if they don't do anything or if they go out in round one, you might see the coach get fired. You have guys who are only going to be able to be here for one the rest of the season, like Kane, Tarasenko. So there's a lot more expectations for the Rangers here, and that with the intangible experience, value of experience, experience. I think you probably end up leaning Rangers. I know last week before they played on Thursday, a couple of the different books tweeted uh, hypothetical lines and the, the Devils were slight favorites. It was like plus 120 and plus 105, something like that, series price-wise. Home ice won't really matter that much because there will be a lot of Ranger fans in New Jersey. That part of it won't matter. Always. It really will be. It'll be close. It, it will be a close series. The Devils are a legitimately good team. Yeah, so I, I think they're expecting Lindgren back tonight, I believe, which is, yes. I mean, that that's a that's huge to get back. I mean, what, like when you look at them without versus with, how much of a difference does that make over the past couple weeks of the Rangers to now getting Lindgren back? Why can't I say that? Oh, it, 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 hey, words are hard sometimes, man. Words yeah. are hard sometimes. Yeah. The thing is, Lingren coming back makes two pairs better because he slides into the first pair, which makes that pair better. And it forces Ben Harper out of the lineup, which makes the third pair better. Harper and Schneider have been getting their doors blown off for a few weeks now on that third pair. And they've been hanging on for dear life. That's the stereotypical third defensive pair where they play 11 minutes a game at five on five. Schneider will kill penalties if Truber or Fox takes the penalty. And you're holding on for dear life. You're just don't go in the net. Anything else is fine. You hemmed in your own zone, 45 seconds, minute and a half, whatever just survive to the next shift yeah Lingren's an invaluable resource because he him and Fox are the only two defensemen they have that are actually effective at breaking the puck out of their own zone Miller and Truba not particularly good at that and the third pair just doesn't exert the defensive zone at all so yeah Lingren coming back is huge they and it's important they get him in a couple of games because he's only played one game in a month and a half and it's really hard to go from not playing at all right into the playoffs which is really going to be the interesting subplot here over these last five games because they're more or less locked into that third spot no matter what barring something weird happening around them so it's going to be hard to get up for these games with no real consequences either way win or lose so that'll be something to keep an eye on down the stretch here yeah all right so as a ranger fan yourself what are you happy with and what do you consider a disappointment uh as we approach the playoffs here just an ecf happy with uh, uh I don't think you can realistically expect to make a conference final. What, what, what would you call you a disappointment? About, Just losing to the Devils? That would oh, be losing, the... losing in round one would be a disappointment. Yeah. yeah. You lose in round one with everything you did this year, all the roster shenanigans you had to do to get Kane Tarasenko in here, 
all of the posturing about, well, we learned from last year. We're going to validate what we did last year by naming Truba the captain. All of the stuff you did to get to this point kind of loses some of the the gum, the uh, the punch it had versus where last year everybody was like, this is cool. This is fun. Didn't yeah. expect to go that far. Yep. You think you figured going into the Pittsburgh series, you probably win that because Pittsburgh playoff frauds at this point. They haven't won a playoff series since 2000. 17, I want to say 2018, something like that. They haven't won a playoff series in years, and that's on their goaltending, and their GM's a moron. But back to the Rangers, just you can't, especially because it's going to be essentially a coin flip against the Devils. If you were playing a team you were definitely better than in the first round, absolutely, you could say they the the bar is get to the third round. Because with a series like the Devils, and you, you saw this happen to the Rangers last year, you saw this happen to them a bunch of times when Lundqvist was still in net. They get into those knife fight series that go seven games where they're scoring two or three goals every single game. That's taxing. That's draining. So by the time you get to the next round, you're not at 100%. Even if you got your full lineup, those guys got nicks and bruises and they're sore, not at the same level as some of the other teams. And it's a real part of that journey of going on a long, deep run. I mentioned this the other day on my show, and I'll turn my page in my notes here. The average team to win the Stanley Cup plays 23 total playoff games throughout the four rounds of the playoffs. That means you need to win one or two of those series in five or six games. You can't go seven every single round if you want to really have a chance of winning the Stanley Cup. It just increases the difficulty. You really need to take care of the Devils in six games. And then you go into the second round and you're going to play either Carolina, you're going to play the Islanders. You have a chance against those teams, the Rangers. That's the thing. I would go as far as to say getting out of the first round will be harder than winning in the second round. That's actually not something that I really thought about uh, when it comes to the the NHL, just trying to limit the amount of games you're playing. I mean, like you hit a friend in the head, like Rangers of the past, like not only did they go seven every series, but like we're talking about how many overtimes. I mean, how there was a triple overtime game in Washington, I believe it was. Um, Yes, Dubicco played seven minutes in a triple overtime game. Uh, before we move on from the Rangers, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Are we expecting Kane to start clicking here? I think this is who he is at this point. When he has the puck on his stick, you'll see the flashes of the player he used to be. Occasionally, he can make something happen in the neutral zone with his hands where he's going to body faint one way, get the defender going the other way. But he's not going to drive play on his own now, and it's why they need to staple him to either Kreider or Panarin on the opposite wing so that they can do the bulk of the work. Kane's job here is to be supporting role here. You are not going to see the high-end dynamic stuff you used to see. He's still got the hands. He's still got the IQ. His positioning is getting better. That was a real issue the first week or two he was here. He just kept skating into other people because he had no idea where he needed to be on the ice. The positioning is getting better. The big thing for him is they need to figure out what they're going to do on the power play because since he got on that first power play unit, it has not been nearly as effective. And it's partly because they overpass, and it's partly because they funnel the puck to him because they're trying to run the power play through him. When the power play is going right, it's going through Fox. Fox is the single most important skater they have in determining how they play in all three phases. On, on, excuse me, a five on five on the kill on the power play. Single most important player they have is Adam Fox in determining how they're going. They need him running the power play. Kane at five on five. If you're even where you're scoring as many goals as the other team at five on five, you'll take that because his defense is so bad. They need to get him. They need to figure out exactly what they want to do with him on the power play. 
for that to see what we're all expecting. Because you're right. He's been very unnoticeable, especially when he doesn't have the puck. Without the puck, you forget he's out there because he's often floating. He's waiting for the puck to come to him. He's not making plays happen anymore. The hands and the IQ are still there, but that means you got to do more to get that out of him because he's not going to be able to get to the position physically he needs to be on the ice. All right. All right. You're not a big basketball guy, huh? It's... It's not that I don't like basketball. It's just that hockey occupies such a large part of what I have to do for work. Especially at this if time. I'm taking, yeah, yeah I, if I'm taking time to watch basketball, it usually means hockey's not on or teams on that I don't care about are on. Yeah, like the other day when we were when we watched, I was watching the Knicks with my friends because we were all hanging out waiting for WrestleMania to start. Yeah, we watched the Knicks. Whatever works. There's a little bit of excitement with the Knicks. Now you you got the taste of it in 2021. They go out in five. The Knicks have a real chance here. You mentioned it. They're 3-1 and one against Cleveland in the regular season, and they've played Cleveland pretty well when they've played. They're going to have a good shot of advancing. Oh, yeah. And this Knicks team genuinely has a good shot of winning two rounds in these playoffs. The Knicks are in most of their games. If they can survive that awful third quarter that they always seem to have, yeah. they're a solid team. They don't have the high-end talent of some of the teams they're going to have to go through deeper in the playoffs. Oh, of course. But Effort-wise and depth, they're a good group. This is one of the most fun Knicks teams I can recall ever. Yeah, I, Like maybe the second year Mello was there when they finished, I think, second in the East or whatever before they lost to the Pacers in the second round. This is maybe the most fun Knicks team since that group. Yeah, well, you're, I mean, you're exactly right. It's a superstar league, and the Knicks seemingly don't really even have one. But um, yeah, it's a fun team, but they're kind of a, they're kind of a prisoner of their own success, kind of like we talked about with the Rangers where we say, you know, last year it was fun. It was like, this is great to be here. And now it's kind of like, man, the Knicks better beat Cleveland. Yeah. Let's get on to the Mets. Um, let's get the bugaboos out of the way. Uh, you're, you're, you're no Edwin Diaz this season. No Edwin Diaz. And the second that we approached opening day, we hear about our shiny new toy, Justin Verlander, not going to be able to start the season. Uh, maybe you could spin that positive because he was getting smacked around in the spring and I guess you kind of hope that maybe that's because there was something up. Uh, certainly, I don't think he's washed yet, unlike maybe Max Scherzer from last night. I, I don't want to let the bad taste in my mouth over the last two days kind of affect this Mets preview here. Uh, you want to combine the last two days, they're they're down 19 nothing to Milwaukee. So uh, I'll let you open this up. How are you feeling just just about the Mets right now? So right now, I'm exactly where you're at. I'm very much, like, worried, like... I there are a lot of caveats and we'll get to them, but I'm definitely a little more concerned than I was say going in opening day last year. Like even last year, full well knowing DeGrom probably wasn't going to pitch till June or July. I, I still felt better about that group versus this group. Cause that group, there were a lot of unknowns. You didn't know how Marcano was going to be as more or less the everyday left fielder. You didn't know what Starling Marte was going to be. You were expecting the Jeff McNeil bounce back, but you weren't sure exactly what that was going to look like. You were expecting a better year from Pete Lindor year two in New York. You were expecting a little bit more. Now it's more or less the same everyday lineup. Sure. You get Tommy Pham in there every now and then, as opposed to whoever you want to put Darren Ruff, whatever is the right-handed hitting DH and Vogelback is the left-handed hitting DH as opposed to Dom Smith. But you know, this lineup and its limitations. Now, you know, they're not going to hit for a lot of power. You know, it's going to be hard for them to string together a lot of hits over the course of innings, because it's harder to score runs when you need four hits as opposed to one, the pitching 
I'm a little less worried about the pitching for a few reasons. Number one, I think we're underestimating just how much the pitch clock is impacting some of these guys yes. who've been in the league a long time. Like you saw Carrasco just out of his depth yesterday. Yeah. He, well, no, excuse me, on Monday he was he was shook. Uh, he was absolutely shook, and he it took him a while to get going. And we're underestimating that Scherzer. I'm definitely a little worried. Granted, opening day, his first start last year against the Phillies, he served up the meatball three-run home run in the fir- in his first real test in that game too. But Scherzer, I think, is intelligent enough to scrape by, even if he doesn't have his best stuff like permanently. Like this is kind of who he is at this point. Milwaukee's an okay lineup. Y- you definitely don't feel good about the way they've played the last two days, but they will not be this bad. And the other thing is. Everybody else in the NL East, aside from the Braves, has gotten off to a shitty start, too. The Phillies have looked awful. Oh, yeah. The Marlins. I mean, Sandy was great yesterday for the Marlins, but the Marlins haven't looked good. And the Nationals are a triple-A team. So yeah. that, there are things to kind of talk yourself off the ledge. But I'm definitely a lot more concerned than I was going into opening day last year. Well, yeah. And, I mean, when you talk about the pitch clock, I mean, Scherzer's been vocal about just how against yeah. it he is. So I'm, Scherzer's not a guy that I worry about. Um, you know, I just always assume that he'll figure it out. I'm not worried about him. I can't wait to get Verlander back. I mean, I don't want to see David Peterson start every week, but you know, right now it is what it is. I think my concerns with the Mets are, well, there's two. The big one is this is not a good bullpen. It's actually a bad bullpen. Um, and like you said, they're not a great offensive team with Dave pieces. Um, you know, listen, they, they have a guy coming off a batting title, they have a guy who could hit 55 home runs this year and you wouldn't blink twice. They have pieces, but they're not a great offensive team. So I think when you couple that with any time your starter leaves the game, and a lot of these teams, I mean, they can't wait to get a starter out of the game in inning five, maybe even four. And then you're going to have to watch games like this and be like, I really hope they don't blow this one. That's kind of what it's going to be like for a while. And I don't really know. I, I, w- I would assume that there's going to be a move made. Because, I mean, if you're not going to have Diaz the whole – this bullpen isn't going to be as is uh, this whole season because you have an owner that's desperate to win um, and a team that's almost primed to win. They're they're right there. They're right on the cusp. I don't know who's going to be available and when, but I I think it's going to be tough to watch, you know, innings five to nine for the first half of the season. It's just – it's going to be tough. Oh, and it doesn't help that Buck is so stubborn with the way – why is Adovino pitching in a 10 nothing game? Yes. Why is Ottavino pitching in a ten? I understand you don't. You're a shorter reliever because you you put Tommy Hunter on the IL yesterday. Why are you using your second best reliever in a ten nothing game? Why are you continuing to use your high leverage guys in situations that don't warrant it? He's been infuriating with the bullpen. That's really my one real complaint with Buck. The two years he's been here is uh, granted. Every manager sucks with using the bullpen. That's not unique to Buck Walter. That's a very real thing, regardless yeah. of what team you follow. But at some point, they are going to need to add. Uh, the, the, the laundry list of names, you could talk about Daniel Barr, David Bednar. Uh, they, they apparently looked into uh, Diaz's brother last year, but the Reds were asking for a lot, so they didn't pull the trigger on that. And that's how we ended up with Michael Gibbons. But yeah, they need to add at least two, one, if not two guys to this group because they just don't have depth. That's the other thing. You're one more injury away from really being screwed. Like, I mean, Nagosa closed the game on, uh, what was that, Sunday because they really didn't want to burn another decent reliever, even though they had a multi-run lead. They really just don't have depth right now, let alone quality relievers. No, not at all. Um, I feel like going into the year, we were all kind of like, oh, do, you know, division title or bust. And now it's kind of like, I, I know right now you're not better than Atlanta. 
And I don't know what the no. Phillies are going to be. I mean, this is kind of just like typical first half Philly stuff. I don't know what they're going to be in five yeah. months. Um, <laughs> so just speak- yeah, they'll get Harper back some point. They'll yeah. get Harper back in June or July, and that's another you know MVP bat to add to that lineup. Yeah, and they're going to have decisions to make. I mean, I'm not sure what what's up with Brett Beatty right now. I know he kind of had his hand looked at yesterday, but I mean, he's been raking. Escobar, you know, he he doesn't look great once again. Um. He, this is just kind of who he is now. He's not He's not a great player. I would assume that at some point you have Beatty up, you have Alvarez up, and that kind of – those are your two kind of offensive questions there. Your, your catcher and your third baseman, I think, are the two big ones. And you hope that you get those kids up and that they can help. But I don't know. I don't know what my expectations are right now for the Mets. I mean, looking around at the NL East and just the National League in general, I don't know. It doesn't feel great. I feel like just – Something flipped over the last three weeks where now I look at the Mets roster. I mean, well, I know what flipped. It was Edwin Diaz and company, but I don't know. You just feel a little bit less confident now. Oh, absolutely. And it doesn't help they didn't come out of the gate hot. Usually the Mets are good for a great out of the gate. Usually the Mets, that's the best thing the Mets do is the first 15 games of the season. They'll rattle off a 10 and 3 and you're like, okay, we can do this this year. Right now, it's looking pretty hapless. I mean, they haven't scored a run in, what, two days? The bullpen is... The bullpen looks pretty mid, to be generous. The rotation, you've gotten, what, one good start? Two times... the first time through the rotation, two time, two, excuse me. Yeah. One time full through the rotation. You've gotten one quality start out of that group. And that start wasn't even that good. Uh, they'll be fine. The, the expanded playoff field makes it where you'll be relevant. No matter as long as you're mid, as long as you're not bad, if you hang around 500 through June, it's fine, but you definitely got to get going at some point. And you got to add the Mets definitely need more guys. They definitely need at least two guys in that bullpen, and you could definitely say they need one more bat. They need they need somebody who's going to hit 220 but has 40 home run potential. That's the kind of bat they need in this lineup because the single stuff is cute and all, but it's a lot harder to string together five singles than it is to hit one home run. Yeah, you kind I kind of like you know like McNeil kind of had a struggle where he was like, do I want to hit for power or do I want to hit for average yeah. for a while? Like there was one year he hit like 340, the next year he hit 30 home runs or something. And now he's just kind of an average. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Man, swing for the fences a little bit more. Yes and no. And if they're hitting him in the seven hole, you would say, yeah, go for a little bit more power. But if he's going to hit in the three spot, the two spot on days where, you know, you get Pete out of there, you give Marte a day off, you want him, if he's hitting that spot, hitting for singles to get on base to have got traffic. That's the big thing. And granted, the hitters always start slow. The pitchers are always ahead of the hitters early in the season. The hitters need to get their timing down. They got to account for you again. You got to account for the pitch clock for the hitters as well. So you give it a little bit of time. The baseball season is so long. A shitty April doesn't sink you. No. A shitty May doesn't sink you. You can hang around as long as you're okay. You can hang around. That's the big thing. You can't get too far out of the race too early. They have enough talent where I'm not worried about that yet. You're right, but the way that baseball is, and what a lot of GMs would tell you, and I think they're partially right is that in baseball, maybe more than any other sport, when you get to the postseason, it's kind of a crapshoot. And you look what happened to the Mets last year. I mean, who knows what the Mets would have done if they would have gotten out of the wild card rounds. You really wanted to take the division to avoid something like that because really you never know. I mean, you go you go oh, exactly. into a wild card round this year and Scherzer lays an egg and then you, you might be done. Yeah, I mean, that's what happened last year. I mean, realistically, you think about it. You're probably looking in the wild card round at either 
the Phillies, the Braves, the Padres, or the Dodgers. You don't feel good about the Mets playing any of those teams in a best of three. You don't. Not at all. Um, so would you say that the Braves scare you the most in the National League as it oh, pertains I think to the, the Braves? I think the Braves are the best team in all of baseball, let alone just the National League. When you go through their one through nine, their rotation, I know Freed got hurt and he's going to be out for a little while, but they still have a really solid rotation. Strider looks like he's going to pick up where he left off last year. Their bullpen is probably their weakest link, but they still have an above average bullpen. I think the Braves are probably the best team in baseball. If you want to make an argument for the Astros, I would listen. Jordan's been Barry Bonds the first two weeks of the season. But I, I the Braves, it's infuriating that the Braves are in our division because they are such a talented team. Especially now when the Mets are like, you know what, let's, let's go for it. Let's finally just go for it. Yeah. I want to go around the National League a little bit, sort of like we did with the AL, um, and just hit on a couple teams that, you know, might be in the Mets' way at some point. Um, the Brewers right now are, are spanking the Mets. Uh, I like the Brewers. I think they're underrated going into the season. Um, I think they have a real... It's the Cardinals' blood... It's a Cardinals blood magic year, Matt. That's every other year. You remember two years ago? It's a Cardinals blood magic year. The Cardinals will win that division. The The Brewers don't hit. The, the Brewers don't hit. It's been their fatal flaw for a few years now. You saw how bad it got there last year after they traded Josh Hader. Everybody was looking around at each other in that room like, oh, they don't think we can win. That's great. And that derailed the entirety of their season, and they missed the playoffs last year. The rotation is solid. Freddie Peralta, Corbin, Woodruff's okay, not as good as he was two years ago. It's a solid group. They they should make the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I never want to see Jesse Winker ever again, as much as I like him. Oh, he... I drafted him in fantasy for that exact reason. I saw they were playing the Mets the first, the second week of the season. That's a guaranteed. Anytime you get the lefty power hitter, and the Mets don't have any velocity pitchers anymore. Their hardest thrower is probably Verlander, who's topping out at 94-95 now. Winker kills that 93-94 fastball. Yeah. Um, how do you keep up with fantasy baseball? I always, I, I finally um, this year made made a rule to myself, like, listen, say no to everyone who asks, because you know that you're, you're going to stop paying attention in June. I can't do it. It's not, so it what, doesn't have the same can, uh, to it that, that football does. It just doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. But football, you only have to check like twice, three times a week, which is what makes football so accessible for so many people to play. And it's why it's the most popular. Baseball, we do categories where you play one person week to week. And then there's nine statistical categories where it's like average on base, walks, stolen bases, home runs, RBIs, runs. And that's your, you know, you get a win or a loss for each of those. And then it goes through. And then at the end of the week, you either get a win for the team you're playing or a loss for the team you're playing. It's it's definitely more manageable this way as opposed to the traditional rotisserie, which there's just too much math going on for me. Yeah. But this is probably the easiest way. But you're right. Baseball, fantasy baseball is a commitment. You got to check every day. Well, that, that is the way to do it because I've been in leagues where, like, the manager won't set anything. And it's sort of just like yeah. whoever wants to log in every day and pick up a starting pitcher that day, that guy's going to win the league. Yeah. Really, the National League isn't as strong as I thought it was. I mean, really, you have the Braves. You have the Mets, you have the Phillies, Cardinals, Brewers, Dodgers, Padres. And the Padres, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really it. And the Dodgers, I mean, the Dodgers are doing the Jason Hayward reclamation project. They're playing Trace Thompson every day. 
everybody the Dodgers call off from their AAA team magically hits 280 and is is a three and a half WAR player. When yeah. we figure out what the Dodgers are doing in Oklahoma, they're going to end up getting fined or <laughs> losing draft picks because they ha- the Dodgers have to be cheating. The Yankees pitching no, whatever they, they're doing the with Yankees the relievers. The Yankees are cheating. They're they have to be cheating in the bullpen because they will call they have to random no name like five a year and they'll just be a lead. It makes no sense whatsoever. There's the guy they called up the other day who had a who struck out three guys on like I think like nine pit on like twelve pitches and that guy never pitched in the majors before. <laughs> that everybody they traded for Clay Holmes who had a five ERA yes. and he was the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. He was the best closer in baseball last year through July. Yeah, for months. Whatever the Yankees, whatever the Yankees identify in guys, the Giants do it too. They signed Sean Manaya and his fastball velocity is up five miles an hour. What are these teams doing? Yeah. It's nice to see the Giants kind of stink, though, for once. Oh, God, their lineup is atrocious. Oh, yeah. I was watching them against the Yankees. That was – they had Conforto hitting second and Wilmer Forrest hitting cleanup on opening yeah. day. It's that like is an atrocity. Mets, like – Yeah. Yeah. Wilmer Forrest starting shortstop, John Mayberry Jr., cleanup hitter, Eric Campbell man yeah. in third base. <laughs> And they're really screwed because Joey Bart can't hit to save his life. That was supposed to be their prospect. Like, oh, this will be our Adley Rushman. And that guy can't hit to save his life. Yeah, their whole team is just guys who were once kind of good, like Jock Peterson's, and then just some Met rejects, like J.D. Davis, I think, is there even. Yeah, yeah. He's been okay through a week and a half. I I would have liked to have him over, um, was it Darren Ruff? Yeah, it was it was JD Davis, Sapucky, and two other relievers, prospect relievers for uh, Darren Ruff. Yeah. So speaking of the rules, we we kind of got into the pitch clock. Do you like it? Do you enjoy it? Do you kind of? Because I I do like I do like the pitch clock. I love the pace. I think it's awesome. Because I mean, there's a lot to to be able to actually sit there and watch a baseball game and not be able to like send an email is kind of nice. Um, but I mean, there was a game yesterday. The twins game was under two hours. I think two hours. Awesome. Uh, If you're at home, awesome. If you're at home, I think I'd be annoyed if I drove to city field and left for what was a shorter duration than like a movie even. Yeah, no, that's the one thing. I will have a better feel for this after this weekend because I'm going to the home opener on Thursday and I'm going to the game on Saturday. Once I go, I feel like I'll have a better, I'll be able to comment better. But viewing at home, it's significantly better. The games are just moving. And the beautiful thing is on the weekends, you get the one o'clock game over in time that you just go right over to the four o'clock game, whatever you want to watch. And you're you're there on time. You're not bleeding over into the next window. And it will be nice come playoff time in October the games will not be overlapping with each other when they start. You can just go right into the next one. That it For the TV viewer, it's great. I think going to the game, I think you probably are getting the short end of the stick, especially if you're going when it's crowded and the lines are long. You're going to miss whole innings because the lines are long in between. You really are going to miss a whole inning if you want to go get a beer, you want to go get something to eat in between innings because it's moving and I understand why and it's definitely working runs are up stolen bases are up out all of the outcomes that baseball is trying to incentivize by changing these rules they're happening they're getting more action in the game the game is ending quicker this is good for the generation of people that can only pay attention if subway someone's playing subway surfer in video yes it's good for those people I understand why the boomers are upset about it but once I go, I feel like I can comment a little better. Yeah, well, because baseball's like religion. Like, it's that's the way that people treat it. It's the hardest for them to change yeah. anything because of the way that people treat baseball. 
It makes no sense. Yeah. People are upset at nothing. Like, oh, the I, I wish the game was longer. You're, you're getting the same amount of everything. We're just condensing it so I don't have to watch someone, you know, adjust his gloves and, and this and that. I, I think it's great, but that's just, you know, that that's just the way baseball is. And I think until it's not for all these changes aren't for you and me or anyone older than us in age. It's for it's they already have it's for us. casuals. They it's have for us. casuals. Yes, exactly. Yeah, this is that's a great point. This is something I talk about all the time. All of the decisions you see, whether it be the leagues themselves, their television partners, their media partners, they are all designed to get more people. They know they got us already, yes. no matter what it is. Everybody, Every single hockey fan is complaining about the coverage on ESPN and TNT. That's not for us. But, they know uh, could we're you explain watch. that to me, though? Because what, what could there be to complain about growing the NHL? They certainly need it. I think being on ESPN is fantastic for the NHL. I love being able to go See? to my ESPN app and just watch an NHL game. I've not, you never had that before. I got I to watch West Coast agree. games I, I never got to agree. see. I completely agree with you. But, but what is the, the please like my sport people? The please like my sport people typically do the they hockey fans have the persecution complex that nobody understands the sport the way they do. Yes, that nobody's as passionate as they are. Nobody likes the sport as on a deeply intellectual level as I do, where they have things like PK Subban doing like, you know, commenting on people's fashion and they, and TNT has TNT kind of annoys me because they let this and that talk way too much. And he breathes out of his mouth, which is very irritating to watch as somebody who knows how to talk into a microphone. But for all intents and purposes, they're saying the coverage isn't geared towards the hardcore fan, which isn't the point. It's never going to be, which is the problem. I understand that I am not their target audience, that I'm watching the game, the national game, no matter what. It's true for the rules in baseball to bring us back to where we started here. They know we're going to watch. I'm going to watch 150 of the 162 regular season games this year. I'm going to listen to some on the radio because I am out running errands or I'm at the gym and I can't watch. I am here no matter what. I'm like Mbappe in the World Cup final. I will be there no matter what. When it comes to the Mets, I will be there. For the casual fan, like one of my friends, we have a few friends who are like tepidly getting into baseball and we're going, we're bringing him on Saturday. And he was genuinely like, wow, the game will be over by 630 and we can go do something after. That's <laughs> awesome. And that's the kind of point you got to put, you got to remember it's not just for us. You got to grow the pie. That's the goal. All of these leagues should be focusing on is growing the pie, not cutting the pie into bigger pieces. No. Yeah, you're right. Um, by the way, I, I swore off home openers, opening day. I won't do it. It is such a pain. It's just, there's too many people, man. Like, ju I just can't do it. Give me my like Wednesday night. Oh, I love Rockies. it when it's empty. It's the best. I love the weekday games where you get in for $12. You can sit in 517 right behind home plate for like $12. Maybe like the fourth row. You've got an empty seat to your left or your right. You got yeah. a little bit of room for your legs and your arms. That's the ideal. But I, I wanted to go this year. I was excited. I was going to see Justin Verlander pitch while I'm getting <laughs> Tyler McGill. I drove in last year and it was just to the home opener. It, oh my God. It was the worst. I'm going to the devil's game after the Mets home opener. So I will be pulling double duty. <laughs> You're insane. Thursday. You're insane. Oh, I know. I am. I think you did. That. Didn't you do that? Like after, um, was that after the Mike White? I game? went to the Mike. Yes, I went to the Mike White game, and then I went to the I went to the Devils game right after. No, yes. you're you're not. When you have these opportun when you have these opportunities for those kinds of days, 
anything can happen. And that's why you go. Who, why would I say no to plans? Having fun is so much fun. No, nah, but it's not though. Staying like canceling plans is like nirvana to me. Oh, it's like heroin. Yes. It's yeah. like, that's the, that's the John Mulaney joke. Canceling plans is like heroin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, should I do it? Should I do it? <laughs> I'm going to do it. Uh, speaking of the new baseball rules and whatnot, there was one more thing I wanted to talk to you about. Me and Sam kind of planned on talking about this or sort of debating it, but I, I sort of changed my mind a little bit. So it, it didn't make for as fun of a debate. Um, are you a WBC guy? Do you enjoy it? Do you kind of tune in whenever you can? Oh, I was locked in, man. I also just had the itch for baseball. I was genuinely really excited. It's been a while since we had this tournament. They got me. Uh, America actually got the good players to go this time. Yes. I remember the last WBC, Mike Trout went to the games in like the fourth row in Arizona. <laughs> he wasn't playing for Team USA, but the fact they actually got the commitment from the really good players who wanted to go, you saw how much fun they all had and how much it meant to them to go. Yes. It sucks. You never want to see anyone get hurt, whether it be Diaz, whether it be Altuve. You don't want to see anyone get hurt. You don't. But that's the risk of playing a sport. Anytime you are going to play something competitive, there is a risk of that happening. The Diaz thing is a freak accident. The Altuve thing is a freak accident. You can have, to quote Al Pacino in uh, Heat, you can get killed walking your doggy. You got to live your life sometimes. Sometimes bad shit happens by accident. Yeah. So I had had a great time. I was staying up to watch the games that were starting at 11 o'clock Eastern time in Korea, the first round. I was watching Italy play Cuba at two in the morning with like, you know, 5,000 other people on Twitter. I was having a great time. I just was itching for baseball. I'm a big MLB, the show guy. And they had the WBC program in there that got me. The itch was there for baseball and everything to kind of pull me in was there. I was very, I was very interested. I I don't get to watch Mike Trout play a ton. I don't get to watch Otani play a ton, Mookie play a ton. I was compelled as hell. Yeah, but like I, I get that they were that, that it's a freak injury, but it could have not been. It could have very easily been a regular injury, and then what? Like then, like then it's a WBC problem. I sort of going into it. I I was never a WBC guy, and I think my two gripes with it were obviously the one that you just mentioned. Just why would I want my players going there before the season? Um, but really, when you look at it, there's no other way to schedule it. This is the this is the no, one. there isn't. This is the time that makes the most sense. Uh, so the injury is number one. And then number two, doesn't it just kind of, doesn't it just take a little bit of the lust out of it when like, it's supposed to be this, I don't want to say patriotic, but like, you're kind of just playing against a bunch of Americans. Like, oh, starting pitcher for Italy, Connecticut native Matt Harvey. Like, that's just what it is. It's just kind of like, I, I don't know, it's like, it just comes off as silly to me. I was, I, I was hating oh, it. it. Is. I was hating on it before it started, but then like I watched and there were a lot of cool moments. I mean, even the way it ended was just electric. So I like it. I just, I still wish it it didn't happen. That's reasonable. That's a level-headed take. It's not like, you know, you went full, it's not like you went full boomer uh, complaining about it. That's a reasonably level-headed take. It's enjoyable. It's fun. It's decent quality baseball. It's better than watching the Mets starters play three innings in a Grapefruit League game. Yes, 100%. Anything you wanted to hit on with the Mets? I thought Senga was great when he settled in. I was very pleased with his uh, with his debut with the Mets. Oh, I was nervous as hell, man. That dude was clearly shook, and he battled back. That was yeah. the best start of any Mets starter through the first time in the rotation. 
he looked fine. Uh, I'm very curious to see how they manage him throughout the course of the season, but tepidly optimistic when it comes to Sengun. I know they're talking about the six-man rotation, trying to only get him in there once a week as opposed to, you know, the every fifth day thing. We'll see how it goes with him, but definitely he's probably the most open-ended in terms of the upside from anybody on the in the entire team because everybody else has a long track record at the major league level. Well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly the thing. We we didn't know what we were going to get from him, and he's kind of a a have to have. Because yeah. I mean, even yeah, even if he's Scherzer and Verlander, right yeah, even if Scherzer and Verlander wind up being great this year, I mean, th- there's a world where you have to ask him to be. You, your third best starter. Oh, absolutely. I, I know we all like to complain about Taiwan Walker last year. We're going to miss five-starter Taiwan Walker. But I, I, I'm telling you now, the rotation was the best part of that team last year. And they are going to miss having, you know, five quality major league level starters every time through the rotation. That makes it a lot easier when your offense can only muster up three or four runs a game. I know they finished, I think, sixth in the National League in runs last year, which is respectable. Oh, yeah. I think... It's solid offensively, but without the pitching to kind of mask some of the offensive issues, they're going to be in a lot more dogfights this year. They are not going to be, they are not going to be able to win. They're not going to win as many games as they did last year. They're just not, they're not going to win 102. That was a, that was even with Diaz and Verlander expecting to, you know, full out of the gate. You probably weren't going to win a hundred plus games. That's really hard to do. It takes a lot to go right to win more than a hundred games. Yeah, I mean, it's almost weird to even sit here and, like, have to question pitching for the first time yeah. in, like, almost 10 years with the Mets. I mean, listen, injuries are always a thing with the Mets. I I mean, for as long as I can remember, you change personnel, you change everything. The Mets just seem to have this injury bug that will not go away. So we'd have to sit there and watch Tyler Pill pitch in a big game or whatever. But they, there was never a question about who was in the rotation. I mean, they were they've been great. And now, like, we're talking about a season where you might have to you might have to watch McGill pitch, you know, 14 times this year. Questions all around with the Mets. Um, I, I'm pleased with Omar Navarro so far. Um, you yeah. know, better than I would have imagined. Anything would have been better than James McCann. I think you could have went back there and I would have been like, at least he's not James McCann. James McCann is one of two players in the history of my time of watching the Mets where I rooted for them to strike out as opposed to putting the ball in play because he would ground into a double play every single time. Him and Wilson Ramos, two highest ground ball. It was their favorite thing. The two highest ground ball rate players in Major League Baseball, and they are also two of the five slowest players in Major League Baseball. The exact thing you don't want. I was excited about both of them, by the way. Like, I remember both of those acquisitions and being like, oh, nice. That is a solid catcher to bring in. Yeah. When's the last good catcher the Mets have had? Laduka? Rookie Darno. That he's good? Might be Piazza. Rookie Rookie Darno. Rookie Darno was pretty good. And then he got hurt and was never the same. And then the Braves fixed him. It would be nice to have Darno. It would be. It would be. And purely got rid of him because of spite. Purely because of spite. Yeah. How many Met games are you hitting this year? I usually try to get to one a month. That's generally my goal. One a month throughout the season. And if somebody hits me up like, you know, day of, day before, usually I'll say yes, because having fun is fun and I can't say no to plans. But generally try to get to at least one a month. I usually end up at a 10 to 15, somewhere in there. The stupid, my stupid ass, and I'll end you on this. So last year, uh, the playoff, the baseball playoffs lined up with the start of the hockey season. 
and the Rangers home opener was the Thursday and the wild card round was the previous weekend. So it started that Friday and the Rangers were coming back the following Thursday against Tampa. I said to myself and more than one of my friends, I'm not going to the Rangers home opener because I'm going to be buying NLDS tickets and I can't plunge both of those. So that's where my mind was at last fall. All right. Well, I mean, I guess that's it. Cautiously um, optimistic about the Mets, I guess, even though it didn't sound that way today. Any plugs you had? Oh, uh, yeah. Follow my Twitter, at Nick Zarris, Nick Z-A-R-A-R-I-S. All my work's there. I've been writing more for the first time in a while because, uh, frankly, I just do too much bullshit. But, yeah, writing for the first time in a while. Liberty Blue Pod for Rangers. I do Locked on Flames a couple times a week to talk about the Calgary Flames. I do the pods at Gotham SN where I edit the Giants and Jets pods. Um, I'm setting up more content and stuff. How does that come about? Matt, how, when does, you, how, does that, how does that happen? What? I, I've been – I was – in in on the flames the last two years and i'm friends with the person who does the show and she's like do you just want to do this a couple times well, a week? i would I'm hope like, yeah, yeah sure yeah <laughs> yeah definitely hey man i i'll talk about anything you give me a week i'll watch the i'll watch the la kings three times in a week and i can do 40 minutes on the kings that's just the way my brain works yeah i'm not a big prep guy like sam does all the prep and he'll usually drive the show and i'm just i'm like the oh i know about that i'll give you like a quick pun so, yeah, you're Francesa. You show up, you're thumbing through the daily yes. news while no, Dog is actually is, yeah. reciting statistics. All right, man. Well, um, how often do you do the, the Liberty Blue, by the way? Liberty Blue, during this regular season, once a week. But as we get closer to the playoffs, we're probably going to ramp it up. We'll probably do game day episodes. That'll be shorter. But every week we do a live one hour on Mondays. It's available on all the major podcasting platforms and YouTube. But during the playoffs, we'll probably end up doing game day stuff where I've got some more fancy stuff coming to do more like explainery type things. Finally got a computer that isn't from 2014. So I can actually do good content. Yeah, you guys should do some post-game reactions too. I mean live those yeah yeah that's what we do on youtube we do a lot we usually end up doing a short after the game that that's the one of the things that we've discovered is it's a lot easier to get people to engage with your content on youtube than it is anywhere else because people click into things by accident and generally speaking youtube is the way to go if you're starting out well yeah anytime i hit my pen at night i'll click on anything you should see the rabbit hole i go i go through (laughs) it's insane dude the stuff that i'll watch and just learn about stuff that i i'm not going to care about the next day All right, man. Well, thank you. Uh, Let's go Mets, I guess. Let's go Rangers. And, um, you know, I I hope we'll we'll bring you back on uh, when the playoffs start. Sounds like a plan. Hey, we got through 40 minutes of that pretty easy. Hey, man, I I am an elite bullshitter. Anytime, Matt, you know that.